3: Yeah! Welcome to First Strike here on Visa. I'm your host, Dave Ross. For the next day, we're going to break down the UFC because it is back, which means we are back. Hopefully, everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. UFC took that week off. Hopefully, you got all of your food and festivities and family in, but now it's back to the other F. That's fighting. Benil Darius is going to take on Armin Tarzuki in a very intriguing, lightweight main event matchup to help break it down. We're going to have Nick Dias join me in studio here momentarily. Dan Vreeland, Reed Kuhn, first, we go out to Arizona to catch up with our guy at Gamblew is where you can find him on X. He is the one and only Lou Finnecaro. He is the host of the About Business Podcast. Lou, great to have you back. First of all, did you, did you take a week off from handicapping or did you? No, you were right back, nose right back in the books.
4: When you're in an old saddle and you're challenged more than the other handicappers, you have to outwork them. Uh, and so uh, it really, I, I spent a lot of time doing this. Uh, but I did take time off. It was nice during that Thanksgiving holiday to be able to concentrate on some football and have a little bit of time off. But uh, yeah, I'm really happy to be back in the grind. Three cards left. Mm-hmm. And, I, and how long, Dave, are we about a year or just over a year into the first strike? I will say it's been a pleasure to be on uh, this production with you guys. Our crew does such a good job of packaging us and making us look good. I just want to say thanks to them and you guys. Uh, love being on and sharing uh, fight thoughts each week.
3: Here, here, Rob Moreno. Britton Hess do a great job behind the glass each and every week, and to that end, two years now, Lou, we've been doing First Strike, if you can believe it now, over the two-year anniversary. It's been a real pleasure, and I know Mom and Dad are back to have, have this show to watch and check out all of our guests today. Let's get to this main event, because you know you, you look at Benil Dariush, and he was actually, if you can believe, his favorite over Dubronx Charles Oliveira, and that didn't go well. Now he comes Back against Armin Tarzukian. And you look here, and you go, wow, Dariush over a $2 betting dog. Now, the age does strike people, I'm sure. Uh, when you look at the metrics here of a 34 year old fighter in Dariush against a young guy in Tarzukian, how do you measure this one out? Will potentially five round main event here?
4: I'm fascinated by the line. Uh, this this opened uh, Sarukian minus 180 or 85 and stayed that way for a couple of weeks until about the 21st or 22nd, and then boom, right up to Mm -hmm. this 275 or better. So he's been uh, attacked by uh, some uh, portion of the market. I can understand why. While Dariush is the taller, longer, more well-rounded fighter, I'll even say... You have to temper Dariush with what you saw in that last fight, a flop against Oliveira. But what we, what most of the market hasn't gone back to realize is how good he looked against Gamrat, getting there. So, which Dariush are we going to get? Meanwhile, uh, Sarukian, uh, a short little fire plug, a little more singularly dimensioned in that he's a wrestler grappler. His fights aren't exciting. Uh, he smothers opponents and tries to gas them out. And I think in this fight, Dave, the fact that he's 27, Dariush is 35, I think that age difference is liable to come into play in this fight.
3: And again, once we get those populated numbers for the round totals, we're seeing three and a halfs out there uh, right now. Uh, Juice slightly, not not tremendously, minus our 30 is what I'm seeing here in DraftKings, Lou. Is this correlated for you that if you like the big favorite here in Tarzukian, that you look at Armin saying, all right, this is going to be a fight that goes over that total and that he takes Dariush into the championship rounds and just tries to wear on him, but maybe not be able to get him out of there via sub.
4: I think that's a fair question. And that, that really uh, relies on how you view that performance against Charles in his last was that, really Dariush as he is at 35, or was that a a, a bad night for him? Is he more the gamrot fighter? I haven't worked through that yet. I tend to think that this fight will get to that three and a half, get to those championship rounds. It's just how well Dariush is going to be able to weather the cardio storm that's going to come at him from the younger Armenian Sarukian.
3: Yeah, what's interesting, too, on the Darius side, if you are backing the dog here, anybody out there, and you see that you can almost get about three to one almost here, uh, over $2, obviously, is a betting underdog. But you can get him six to one, either KOTK or DQ. The same price associated with decision to lose point about maybe this fight does go over. So not a lot of the 10 to one in the sub feels like a long shot for the dog. So really only two pathways that you're possibly seeing. Could he get him with something with the KOTK or DQ? Or can he somehow win a five-round decision? Seems like a long task at hand for the underdog in Dariush. You know, Dana White didn't take a break either, Lou, during the holiday. He was out there announcing all these new fights because we got a lot of changes in the next couple of weeks, including the co event in this one. Uh, Bobby Green was supposed to take on the hangman, Dan Hooker. He's out. So Jalen Turner whew, hops in on short notice. Very interesting here. And look at this guy without really a full camp against the veteran and Bobby Green. We expect this fight to be standing for potentially three rounds. Lou, is Bobby Green going to put on another striking show at plus eighty-five?
4: Some weeks ago, I came on here and completely overlooked, disrespected Bobby Green when he was fighting Dawson. I will not do that. Again, I will say for Green that he gets another long, lanky striker. It's Mm -hmm. not like he's going to a short fire hydrant, uh, you know, Kajustani wrestler now. So he gets similar styles, uh, but he gets a guy in Turner, lost his last two, looking to bounce, had a difficult time making 155. This is short notice fight for Turner. He's had trouble making 155 in his last two fights. Uh, very difficult to make any kind of firm commitment on this fight till we watch what Turner does on the scales. But I will say this Bobby Green much would have rather fought Dan Hooker than. Jalen Turner, if this fight actually goes down,
3: yeah, I'm picking up what you're putting down in that one for sure. It's fascinating in this car because it really is deep with some really big names on there. You've got uh, Rob Font back in there against Davison Figueredo. Figueredo fighting somebody not named Brandon Moreno, which is going to be very interesting here. So you look at Figgy, and he is a small dog here, at about plus a dollar 14 against another veteran here in Rob Font. Uh, what do you make of, of Boston's finest and font? Uh, do you think Figueredo, again, can, can outwork him here at 135 pounds?
4: Yeah, that's it right there, Dave, at 135 pounds. We've seen Figueredo compete at 25, mm-hmm. uh, but he, he has a Dickens of a time trying to make the weight. and I think that gives light into his mentality. I think he needs to be the bigger guy. I think he needs to be the bully of a fighter. And now he steps up against a guy that knows exactly what his MO is, and Font's going to go out and bully Figueroa. Now, no longer will Figueiredo be the taller guy, because he'll be giving away height to Font. He won't be the longer guy. He'll be giving away reach to Font. And it'll be interesting to see how he adapts to the 135. I imagine he'll fire fresh and look great, but for how long will he carry that? Font opened a degree or two higher than what he is now. The money's come in on Figueredo. I think there's many reasons to like Rob Font in this fight. Yeah, I, I'm
3: with you on that, too. I'm surprised that, that the public's coming in on the smaller fight here. We we know of his pedigree, certainly championship pedigree at 25, but whole different story here. Juiced heavily to the over in this potential three-round fight of a round and a half, but you look at those KO props, and if there's going to be a finish— uh, maybe figgy you can see 5 to 1 there for him but rob it's going to be standing right if, if you back the favorite do you look to rob maybe to be able to get the smaller fighter out of there
4: rob's got wrestling he doesn't use it often and with his size and reach advantage i think he welcomes the stand up fight i think he'll back figurado up after maybe a ferocious first round or so let figurado taste a little of the weight of 135 but I think this is a tall task for Figueroa. He has a lot to prove to me. Again, I, I regard him more mentally as the bully, and I think he's going to get bullied.
3: You know, speaking of the bully, uh, Bilal Muhammad took care of Sean Brady when Sean Brady was really assenting. Uh, up the ranks here, and now he's going to take on a, a, just Kelvin Gastelum. Again, you get this card. It's it's really deep here uh, when you get to the main card, when you have this, like with still three other fights to go, and this is basically Brady, a small favorite at $1.18 uh, against the veteran and Gastelum. Again, weight fluctuations for Kelvin throughout his career. Uh, this is a very intriguing fight to me. I don't know
4: which version of which guy we get. That's the intrigue of the fight, and again, another weight fight because Gastelum... Uh, had a hard time making 70 younger. But let's remember, when Gastelum was younger, he was less disciplined. Mm. Now now he's gone to 85, and look who he's competed with and how he's competed with them at 185. Now he goes to fight ready and is focused. If he's early on the scale, makes the weight with no problem, he's live. There's no question in my mind. Brady has septic or nose issues. And if you're going to have nose issues as a fighter, you better take out some insurance. I, I, I like Brady, but I think this is a really good spot for Gastelum, provided he makes the weight and looks healthy uh, on Friday morning.
3: Yeah, if you've got issues here, you need to talk to DDP and figure out how he got them fixed, because that's been a problem for a lot of fighters. Uh, very quickly, Lou, we got about 45 seconds to go. Tell them about the sneak teep and what you have in the Bout Business podcast.
4: Sneak teep, we break down the lines for each week's fight card early in the week on Monday. And then by Friday, we've watched the weigh-ins and have our final picks and results. Uh, those come out this week about noontime because the fights are central standard time. Dave, thanks for having me on. Love the show and appreciate being on each week with you guys.
3: Man, it's just good to be back. That's what we we take one week off. It feels like a year. There he is, everybody, the one and only Lou Finnecaro. Give him a follow at GAMLU and check out the Bout Business Podcast when we come back right here in studio. Nick Tass is next. Come on back. It's First Strike here on V.C. Become a VEASAN Pro subscriber today. Get a daily email recapping all the best bets from our show hosts and guests. You're going to get unlimited access to our VEASAN.com slash picks page. Sort those picks out by sport, matchup, event date, and more. Check the top VEASAN experts lead award to view betting records, profit, ROI. See which VEASAN expert has a current on hand. So for VEASAN Pro picks, betting splits, betting guides, plus 24-7 video access, become a VEASAN Pro subscriber today. Sign up through our Black Friday special now and get access to everything we do through May 1st. For only 60 bucks at VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Back here on First Strike, I am Dave Ross. What a pleasure it is to have in studio one and only Nick Davis. You can follow Nick as I do at Nick Diaz 10 He's the host of the Veterans Minimum podcast. Kind enough to come in post-Thanksgiving. Nick, how are you, my friend?
8: Good. Let's pull the curtain back. A little late-notice replacement like it. Turner. Like you know Jalen Turner hopping yeah. in for the co-main
3: event. <laughs> here he is, everybody, in the flesh. Uh, Nick, i got to ask you because I, I noticed... You know, we don't have a lot of handicappers that also dabble in the sport themselves. Yeah. You do. You got a little, uh, a yeah, uh, I, I got
8: some battle wounds you over here, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I had to go get stitches, Dave, right before the holiday.
3: Well, who, who did you fight? Was that against John Jones or
8: what was <laughs> nah, it? was a head with? clash with one of the guys at the gym. You know, accidents happen. Yeah. But, uh, I will say now I do look a little tougher from base. Uh, I never got a standing ovation at the gym, but all the guys that actually fight were
3: like, you're a real man now. And I was like, you know what? I'll take what I can get. Yeah, I had a couple of those from uh, <laughs> Paris Island, but they're not any of uh, Battle Scars of Valor. I just got my ass kicked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nick, let's get into a little bit with this main card because it is good to have the UFC back. And obviously, you look at the card, and it's it's actually a really sexy card from where yeah. I look at, right? After taking a week off and headlined by Darius against Arzuki in here. And you can understand why Armin is a, is a fave. I'm a little surprised how big a favorite he's blown up to. And again, I think the betting community a lot of times, Nick, goes, what did I see last? And we saw Charles Oliveira Bronx, roll through Benil Dariush in, in a matter of a round, and everybody goes, oh, Dariush is washed. So it's like we have this weird thing when we do the last thing that we saw. Is this getting out of hand a little bit with Dariush now plus 225?
8: This is the most ridiculous line in a very long time. I – look – to pull the curtain back once again, I've coined Armin Sarukian from the first time I saw him take a short notice fight against Islam Makachev mm-hmm. as a future champ. He's 27 years old, still has a lot of miles on him left, where there are some other guys that might be 30, 31, like the Max Holloways, right? Like how old is Max in MMA years? Oh my god. But with Armin, I think this line is a little ridiculous. Now, it could be the case, and I hate doing this, but I think it's important in the handicap. Darius could be washed. But this is a guy who is on an A-fight winning streak, loses to Charles Oliveira, who a lot of people lose to Charles Oliveira. <laughs> I was going
3: to say, where's the, where's the shame in that? Yeah,
8: and, you know, MMA math doesn't really make sense often, but these guys have a mutual opponent. One guy beat him, the other guy lost him right. in, in Mateus Gamrot. And if you look at the strength of schedule, Darius has fought the legitimate who's who's. Top five guys, champions, uh, former champions, title contenders, where Armin, every time he's been in a big spot, Dave... It's kind of laid an egg. And it was very conflicting. Some people thought he won the fight against Gamrot. Some people thought he lost. Again, split decision there. But I think this line is ridiculous. Can Armin go out there and starch him in two minutes? Yeah, absolutely capable of it. I still think he's a future champ. He is 27 years old. But I think this line is crazy. I have to bet Darius just based off principle.
3: Yeah, and again, when you say starched, my question would be, can Armin get him out of there? Because, like, when I look at the New Bronx fight, right, Darius is defending against – Charles can do everything, right? We know what Armin wants to do. So you're going to have to have takedown defense early and hope that you can keep the fight standing. I got to think that's the best way for Darius. He's obviously very well-rounded, but the strength of Armin is going to be getting this fight down to the ground. Do you, does he have to worry about the hands with Armin because of what happened with, with Charles last time out? No, I don't think he would have to worry.
8: And also, Dariush is an amazing guy on the ground, too. So, this is one of those fights where I think the longer it goes, it benefits both guys. Like, Mm. this is an amazing uh, UFC matchmaking. Yeah. You know, a salute to you. This is an unbelievable fight. And I think that. Each guy has the other guy covered everywhere. There's no real—I always talk about path to victory yeah. when I come on the show. And I think this is a very, very close matchup. That's why, just based off principle, I have to take Darush in the spot at plus
3: 225. Now, you do do—for uh, those that don't follow you, and if you're not following Nick, what are you doing? It's a great follow on all the social media platforms. A little subathon sometimes, right? Do we see the potential? Because again, we expect this fight to hit the ground 10 to 1 for Dariush, 12 to 1 for Armin. Is there a potential for that? Or is it more if this fight, again, juice to the over here, three and a half rounds, propensity to go the distance and hit the cards?
8: Yeah, I, I think definitely. I would lean more so to the Dariush side because is a guy who, in the Jiu Jitsu community, he's competed at a very high level in Jiu Jitsu only competitions and he's won some of them too, mm. like the Abu Dhabis of the world and. IBJF, and all those competitions. So I think Dariush by submission at 10-1, to 1, yeah. I mean, you know me, Dave. I love me a submission prop, so yeah, why not? Yeah, you do.
3: Yeah, why not? It's a pretty juicy one right there. It, again, if this fight does get down to the ground. In the co-main event, you mentioned you're, you're like Jalen Turner today hopping in here, uh, which we really appreciate. And I know the UFC appreciates it, that Jalen Turner is going to yeah. do it with Dan the hang, hang, Hangman Hooker out. So he's going to step in against Bobby Green. And we know what, uh, what this fight looks like it's going to be. It's going to be standing, right? So... While in the main event, we expect expected to hit the ground. This one, potential three-round matchup, we expect to see some banging going on here. Can the younger Jalen Turner, is that what he wants with Bobby Green? Because we know that's a Bobby Green fight if it's a stand-up fight.
8: Yeah, this fight, if it was on a full camp, I'd feel completely different. And I know that's like kind of stating the obvious, but I think Turner is an unbelievable fighter. I think he's the... Most unique fighter at 155. This dude looks like a middleweight. He does. The 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 frame and the size of him is massive. And you know, he's gonna have the reach. He's gonna have the height advantage over him too. The thing that I worry about here is Bobby Green is a lot more active. You know, he's coming off a big win over Grant Dawson, which, oh my God, talk about the money that I lost on that fight. Oh, I can not believe it. But uh, you know, Turner, I think Turner is a very dangerous fight for him coming in on short notice. He's a big 155er, and on short notice, I would be concerned about him maybe having a difficult weight cut. I think that's very important to kind of handicap here. And Bobby Green, he doesn't get enough credit, Dave, for the in-fight adjustments he makes, not in between rounds, because it's easy for me as a corner guy to tell you, look, he's doing this, he's doing that, and that one minute that I have in between rounds. But he does them on the fly, Mm. and that's somewhere where I think he could kind of expose some of the issues that Turner has. This is a really wild fight Another one where, on a full camp, I feel different. But I think I'm going to have to take Bobby Green on this one. Just ride this wave, the momentum that he has. He's more active. And, you know, Turner, on the flip side, too, his losses have been to top five, top ten guys. He lost to Gamrot, split decision. And then he lost to Dan Hooker at a split decision back in July at Fight Week. So... It is tough, man, but I think in, in both the co-main and the main, I have to take the dog just because I think the lines are mispriced.
3: I, I could uh, talk with you all day about some of these fights, but I want to get your opinion on some of the other ones too because it is such a deep main event, our main card here. Sean Brady, Kelvin Gastelum, talk about making weight. It's always been an issue for Kelvin here, and, and now he's back down to 170 against Brady who everything was great until Muhammad kind of stopped the hype train there. What are you expecting this one?
8: I mean, I wish we could make bets on people to miss weight because a nice parlay of <laughs> Turner Turner and, and Gastelum would be plus money here. Look, uh, I think you bring up a good point, right? Balah Muhammad exposed Brady in, in a facet that, that's not Bilal's game, too. Like, just unbelievable on the feet, standing up. Mm-hmm. You no, know, as a wrestler. And I think that there is a path to victory for Sean Brady here. I am on Sean Brady. Gastelum, I think coming back down to 170 is really weird because this guy, is just a notorious weight misser. Yeah. And he's been in brawls. Like, this guy's 32 years old, but his God, body's probably 57. Yeah. Like, he's gone through hell and back in the UFC. And look, Sean Brady, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this once. Highly touted prospect. He was 5-0 and in the UFC. Then he runs up against Bala Muhammad, and he got exposed. So let's see him now against Gastelum, a guy who he's been in there with the who's who, too. Like, the strength of schedule. Like, Gastelum is any time, any place. And, you know, we, we we are hard on him for missing weight, but, you know, he's—it's— it's a really good matchup here once again, man. And, and this card is unbelievable with matchups like this, too.
3: Uh, you got uh, Boston uh, Mafia back in there, Rob Font, right? He's going to take on Davison and Figueredo. And Figgy's going to go up in weight now from 25 to 35. And again, it's just odd not seeing him fight for a title at 25. Felt like he was doing that for year after year after year. And now to go up and make your 35 debut gets Rob Font. Very interesting here. Uh, Font's the small favorite. Is that, is that justly priced? I think so. I think so.
8: And... You know, growing up, and I still am a big WWE wrestling fan, I think this is a loser leaves town match, in my opinion, (laughs) right? If you look at it, one is 35, one is 36. 135 is unbelievable, Dave. Like, you look at the top 10 right now, and every single one of those guys could be champion. And if you're Figueredo, you go up in the division. If you lose, you're going to want to fight your way back. I don't think so. So I think this one, the line is right. Look, Figueredo was a big 125-er. Now he's going to be... A good size 135er, but also Rob Font is a big 135er, too. And I think this is going to be a classic brawl. I do like one of my favorite props, and I know it's submissions, but Figueroa by submission is definitely very, very intriguing. I think Ooh. he has a clear advantage on the ground. We saw Hagen against Font just take him down at ease. And Sanhagen doesn't really attack the submissions like Figueredo does. So plus 500. Oh, do not threaten me with a good
3: time. uh, Fifteen seconds to go. You you hanging out with Mace and and Cameron these days?
8: Yeah, those are my guys. It is what it is. The podcast, I edit and produce it. I do a lot of cool stuff, Dave. You know, so... I'm just out here doing the best I can. He's just a cool guy. Now he's even cooler with a little shine. Oh, trainer. yeah, some battle wounds, too. Ladies love that,
3: Nick. <laughs> Great stuff. Thanks for coming in, my man. Appreciate you, as always. When we That's come right. back, we're shipping up to Boston next to catch up with Dan Rehland. Come on back. It's First Strike here on VC. Before you make your next bet, be sure to visit VEASAN.com. Check the current betting splits data. Want to know where the money and the bets are moving for every single game? Well, the betting splits page is updated with DraftKings Odds every five minutes so you see the changes in all the action. Find out where the public is betting based on the number of tickets and where the money doesn't match the public opinion. You can check out not just today's action, but future events as well. We are always improving our betting splits and recently added soccer betting splits from around the world. Betting splits are another way VEASAN is here to make you A Smarter Better year-round, check out today's betting splits for every game at VEASAN.com. Rolling on this edition of First Strike, Dave Ross here in Las Vegas. We ship up to Boston, catch up with our guy Dan Vreeland. You can follow him at Gumby Vreeland. Uh, Dan, how was Thanksgiving break? I I put break in air quotes. (laughs) Did you take a break, or were you still nose in the books getting ready for this card and beyond?
9: So a little bit of notes of the books on this card, and a little bit of interviewing international fighters. It's oh. easier to get international fighters over breaks because uh, they don't have Thanksgiving at the same time. <laughs> so we might have might have some Australian and some Canadian flair on some of my future top turtles. <laughs>
3: uh, but yeah, isn't that funny that we're like we are the only ones here. We are the only one that give thanks. Nobody else does. Uh, I I want to ask you, <laughs> can you can you give us a little sneak peek into who you you caught up with that really intrigued you?
9: Yeah, so uh, I'm talking with Jamie Malarkey this oh. week. It's one of the ones I'm really interested in. He's going to be fighting next weekend. Um, and this is actually his fourth fight in a year, which he's yeah. never had more than two since he's come to the UFC. So that's, uh, it gives some insight out of that.
3: Uh, let's get to our question we love to start off with, and that's the the fight you can't wait to watch and the fight you can't wait to wager. And as you go up and down this card, it really is a solid welcome back card for the UFC.
9: Yeah, this is an amazing card. I could, I could pick seven or eight that I'm really <laughs> excited to see, but like kind of a sleeper one is Melky Costa versus Steve Garcia. Mm-hmm. It's two guys who just like don't know how to take a step backwards. Uh, <laughs> they put their foot on the gas. They throw bombs. Both of them are insanely durable. Like, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not thrilled about the line in that fight because I thought it would be, you know, pretty close to a pick 'em or really close odds. And I'm seeing Melky Costa come in as a huge favorite. Might be a little value in there on Steve Garcia. But I think the real, you know, fun in that one is just that like, they're gonna throw, it's gonna get wild, and it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch. Um, and then my favorite one to bet: uh, the, the line has gotten a little worse in the last couple of days, but Jamie Lynn Horth over yes. Veronica Hardy. Um, Veronica Hardy, you know, a couple of days ago, this was a pick'em. Veronica Hardy even trended into being a favorite for a little bit. I know she looked so good in her last fight, right? Like she absolutely dominated that fight. But it was against Juliana Miller, who we've kind of talked about as just like she's not been UFC level fighter, right? Like she, she made it to the UFC through the Ultimate Fighter, which had a lot of women who were, you know, two fights, three fights, five fights, six fights. She fought a veteran and she got shown up by a veteran in Veronica Hardy. But I don't know that Veronica Hardy is better than Jamie Lynn Horth everywhere. Horth is, first of all, really physically strong, as she showed in that Haley Cowan fight. And that was up at 35. Now she comes back to 25 where she actually belongs. She's going to be an absolute powerhouse at that weight class.
3: Do you think that it has the number gotten out of, out of hand for you? Because I was looking at it. That's the first fight of the night. And in the last couple of days, it has ballooned a bit. Is a $1.42 still playable in your estimation?
9: I think a $1.42 still playable. I think that one's playable up until like the 170s, 180s. Because, yeah, I, I just think, I, I think she's got so much of a size advantage. I think, you know, the fact that Hardy has been pretty much on the shelf. She's got one fight in the last three years or something like that. And it was against the three-in-one fighter, uh, and not three-in-one in the UFC, three-in-one fighter, period. So, I, you know, I I think the experience advantage, the size advantage, the strength advantage, all that kind of stuff, she's playable, in my opinion, You know, almost up until two bucks.
3: All right. I don't know if you had any uh, cupcakes over the weekend for <laughs> Thanksgiving, but I'm sure I, I had a lot of pie, but we got a cupcake back in there, staying with the women's team here, and the former champ is back, Misha Tate, uh, against Julia Oliva, and right now, you look at Misha, she's a solid dog, small dog here, plus a dollar 30. How do you handicap when you haven't seen a potential Hall of Fame fighter in somebody like Misha Tate, women's MMA, and all that she's meant to the sport as a former champ coming back at 37, but again against a fighter in Julia who's about her same age at 35?
9: Yeah, not only her same age, but on a worse layoff, right? We haven't seen Avila in in almost two years at this point in time. So she's also one of those ones that there's kind of question marks around like what she can still do, what she'll be able to do. And in addition to that, I've never really liked her takedown defense. Mm. I, I think Julia Avila looks really good on the feet. She's sharp. She's dangerous, particularly in the clinch. She throws nice elbows, nice knees. You don't want to be in the clinch with Misha Tate. Misha no. Tate is going to move down to your hips. She's going to get a takedown. And we saw, you know, Julia Vila, granted, it is two years ago or maybe three years ago now when she lost to Sajara Eubanks, kind of just getting bullied by a big and bigger and stronger fighter. Is Misha Tate still that at her current age? I'm not sure, but at a dollar thirty, I think she has enough ways to win and enough chance to like grind out a decision here that that she's definitely worth it.
3: Yeah, she's that's interesting too because I think you're you're picking it up. Uh, very smart move there. The over is juiced heavily at two forty five, right? Misha, via decision, you're not getting that much more out of it. Plus ninety versus plus $1.30. Do you eschew the decision prop and then just take Misha at plus $1.30 in case she catches her with something or it gets into a clinch and she goes for a sub, which is a plus seven fifty, as we all remember what she did to Holly Holm back in the day?
9: Yeah, I, I think she, she's going for submissions less and less as she ages. I think mostly just because she knows, you know, their quickness or strength is like, kind of gone away a little bit. Mm. But with that being said, you know, like you, uh, an, an extra 60 on there, right? Like yeah. you go from one, 130 to 190, it, it's not enough to tempt me and, and potentially ruin my day if she does catch a submission. So yeah, I, I think the money line's the smart play there.
3: Let's stay with uh, former greats, if we will, in this, uh, on this card. We got the carpenter back in there. Clay Guida, Chicago's finest against Joaquim Silva. Silva's a huge favorite. We, we understand that, 325 here. But when you look at Clay Guida, you know one thing is for sure. Unless you put him out, he's going to be there for 15 minutes. He's not going away. And sometimes that volume, whether it's, you know, it's just perceived or not, it's, he's going to be in your face. Is he a live dog at plus 260, or do you think father time finally at
9: 41 is caught up? I think it gets just about everybody in the lightweight division. Clay Guida is a live dog at plus two hundred and sixty. The <laughs> guy, I mean, unless the guy is going to stuff his wrestling and try to slow down his pace. I, I don't know why you would think that plus two wouldn't be value on Clay Guida. And it's not like Joaquim Silva has been out there looking like a world beater. Granted, he had a really nice performance in his last fight. He showed up, it, it didn't win, but he showed up and he looked absolutely phenomenal against Armand And But like, this is also a guy who got kind of like, Bodied around by Jesse Ronson, and if you're mm. getting bodied around by Jesse Ronson, who uh, you know like, I don't think of as having the pace in wrestling of Clay Guida, then why can't Clay Guida do it? And at plus two sixty, like Clay Guida is always the type of person who can spoil something royally by shooting seven hundred takedowns and laying on top of somebody for nine minutes and winning a decision. So with that pace and that grinding style, plus two sixty, yeah, like gun to my head, I might pick Silva, but at that value, you can't deny Guida.
3: Again, such a deep card. I got to ask you about Jakar Close against Joe Selecki here. Uh, Close feels like one of those guys that sometimes you look spectacular, others you go, I'm not sure what that was. He is laying a small number here at $1. twenty-two against Joe. What do you make of Jakar in the favorites role?
9: I like him here in the favorites role. I, I think he's actually probably one of the more undervalued people on this card. He, to, to your point, he's had moments where he's looked brilliant and he's had moments where he's looked not so good. But the fact of the matter is, is like, I, I don't imagine Joe Selecki is going to be the better wrestler here. Mm. He might be the better grappler in the grand scheme of things, but Klose is really good in the clinch. Klose is really good at stuffing takedowns. And he's very physically strong. Like if you, you match these two muscle for muscle against each other, Dracar Klose is going to win that one just about every single time. So I, I think Dracar Klose is going to be, you know, like the, the guy who dictates where this fight takes place. So if he likes it in the clinch, it's going to be in the clinch the whole time. If he likes it in the striking, it's going to be striking the whole time. And, and I really think, He's going to find one of those avenues where he's better than Joe Selecki for most of this fight. So I, I think at negative one twenty two he's actually quite valuable.
3: Let's get to the main event in the couple of minutes that we have here. Benil Dariush is a big dog. It's really ballooned here against Armand Tarzuki in here. You see Tarzuki in about two seventy eight, we're seeing right now. Darius to come back over two dollars. What do you make of this? Is it the the over is right now three and a half? Are we getting a long fight? Or could we get some fireworks early and that under possibly be in play?
9: You know, I think we could possibly get the under uh, and, and yeah, it does seem like the number is sort of getting out of hand a little bit too, but I, I have to be honest. I'm not really tempted at that number at, at Benil Darush. Like it, it's maybe it's getting to dog or pass territory, mm-hmm. but Armin Sarukian I think has every advantage in this fight, right? We, we know Benil Dariush is super dangerous when it comes to jujitsu. And I know he doesn't have the wrestling to go toe to toe with Sarukian because he didn't have the wrestling to go toe to toe with Matthews Gamrot. Granted, hmm. he did continue to get back up, but Sarukian went toe-to-toe with Gamrot in the wrestling. So we're talking about, you know, you can sort of put together a corollary there. If he couldn't wrestle with Gamrot, I don't think he'll be able to wrestle with Sarukian. Sarukian's also eight times more dangerous on the feet than Gamrot, which we saw in that fight, right? Like, Gamrot was able to sort of grind him and win the fight there, but. I, if it just stayed on the feet sarukian was going to win that fight so I, I think at, at the end of the day here sarukian just pieces him up on the feet and and really the the fact that Benio Dariush was put on wobbly legs multiple times by Drakar klosa who hasn't been a big finisher in the UFC I mean, that does give me cause for concern that this fight won't go to the over. So I do think there's probably some value there in the under.
3: All right, so maybe take a look at Armin in some under props if we think this is going to get finished very quickly, 15 seconds. Is it with the hands or do you think he's looking for a sub if he gets this thing down to the ground?
9: I don't think anybody's sub of a deal, Darius. Let's go with the hands for
3: this one. All right, let's go for the hands right there. Dan, always great to have you on, my friend. Hopefully you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Always great to have your insight here on First Strike. When we come back, we're going to the nation's capital. Catch up with Reed Kuhn. That's next here, First Strike on VC. We continue first strike right here from Las Vegas as we go to our nation's capital, catch up with the one and only Reed Kuhn. You can follow Reed as I do at Fightnomics. He is the author of a book of the same name. And you see these numbers all across the industry. They were mostly generated by the aforementioned Reed Kuhn. Reed, great to have you back on post-Thanksgiving. And you know, our producer, Britton has during the break, as we get you, like we'll go, we'll pull behind the curtain a little bit. And he's like, Reed, did you have a a UFC themed Thanksgiving because you do these incredible dinners for UFC fight. Night. And I was like, "Britain, I mean, it's my question. It's what I want to ask Reed. Reed, we got to know what was on the menu for Thanksgiving.
10: It was pretty traditional this year. We've gone non-traditional in the past, uh, but it wasn't a UFC theme. There was definitely a gambling theme last year. I did a menu with uh, what NFL game we were watching and what the point spread was and which side we were rooting for. Um, But this year, unfortunately, you might have a different opinion. Washington played Dallas and it was a horrendous game. So it was one of those games you just kind of tune out and you focus on the family.
3: Oh, no, no, no. It was one of the best games of the year. It's a no-sweater. It was a beautiful 45-10 to 10 win, and I see Santa's getting drunk behind you on the shelf, which I really like. Uh, Reed, let's get to this card here. Uh, welcome back to the UFC, and it really is a really deep card, as we've mentioned throughout the show today, and obviously you're going to have a lot of fighters with a lot of volume for data uh, that you've seen throughout the years, so I want to get to some of those. Let's start with the main event here with Arman uh, Saruki and here uh, in this main event. And again, Benil Dariush. sometimes we're prisoners of the moment of what we saw last. It didn't look good the last time out. But I think this is where your system comes into play, where that's not going to really sway you, I don't believe, because you're going to put in that data. What do you make of Dariush now as over a $2 betting underdog?
10: Well, first of all, this is definitely a grappler's delight. These are two of the highest performing wrestlers on the card. And when you look at just the grappling metrics, they are very similar. It's very close call back and forth Uh, on the feet. I think the bigger deficiency is that Dariush is now pushing 35. He's been dropped five times and Sarukian might have the sharper hands, or at least he might be landing more volume. I like how aggressive he is on the feet and he can hold his own on the ground. So I think as long as he survives the early storm, I think he he starts to pull away on the edge with significant significant strikes, just round over round. Uh, so I am supporting him now. I was supporting him early on when he was practically a pick'em favorite. Now mm-hmm. the price skyrocketed, so I'm not sure what my final angle is going to be here. I may have to combine him with some sort of over. I don't think anyone's finishing the other guy pretty soon. You know, in the first two rounds. So I might have to look at some of those props. Maybe combine an angle here, Sarukian, and an over of two rounds or over three rounds, um, hoping that he starts to get the edge and grind this out.
3: Yeah, three and a half is where it stands right now. Juice to that over read uh, if you can get it uh, to three and a half rounds. And again, you mentioned the damage that Darius has started to take and the numbers supporting that. Does that caution you against it, or do you just think, hey, even though Oliveira got him out early, this is still Benil Dariush. More than likely, this will hit to that over if Sarukian is the aggressive wrestler and has control, but not necessarily finishing potential on the ground?
10: Yeah, it's not that Sarukian has really heavy hands. I mean, it's about average. Uh, You know, in his fight time per strike landed against the head, he has a knockdown rate of just under 2%. That's a pretty average number. Um, Darius is kind of in the same ballpark, two to 3%. So neither one of these guys are like really heavy hitters. I think they, when you fight for a long enough time and people are worried about takedowns, you get an opportunity to find the chin. Um, So that cancels each other out in this case. I I think these guys are going to spend a lot of time in transition, in the clinch, trying to gain the upper hand. I don't think anybody's getting finished early.
3: You know, Reed. Again, it's it's a really interesting card with some of the names on it and some of the matchups uh, that Sean Shelby and the UFC have put together. One of those being Rob Font at 135, welcoming the former title holder at 125, Davison Figueroa, to come up to this new weight class at 35. And Davison right now is a small dog here. We're seeing plus a dollar 14 Font is minus $1.35. Maybe a lean that your numbers are showing you here. And again, we've talked about this a lot, trying to factor in some of those variables like a weight change here. But what are the numbers showing you here on Davison?
10: First of all, it's kind of weird where Figueredo has spent the last four fights fighting the same guy. That is a lot of fight minutes compiled in title fight environments against the best of the best. He's won some, lost some, a few up in the air. Uh, So here he is finally with a fresh opponent. And I think if anything, the numbers might be a little more biased against Figueroa because of that, because so much of that data over the last several years came from one guy. And that one guy is really good. Now, Rob Font has climbed his way into this position. I've been a backer of his for a long time. And uh, first of all, I think this event, this uh, this this card overall, but also this fight in particular is going to be a barn burner. Mm-hmm. Um, but Figueredo cannot be discounted. His finishing ability with the hands and the submissions is so dangerous, you cannot count him out of a fight. Uh, and Rob Font, while he will be the busier striker... Figueredo preys on people like that. He he lulls them into coming forward, point striking, and then he hits way, way harder. His knockdown rate, before I told you two guys at 1%, 2%, 3%, he's at 7%. Wow. He is above the heavyweight average in terms of how quickly he knocks people down. And so- Figueiredo is as dangerous as it gets in the smaller weight class. If I am going to pull on him, it's probably in a prop by by finish, and I'm not sure which kind, uh, but that's probably where I'm going. But currently at the money line, it's probably a pass for me.
3: Uh, that's fascinating, because again, what you're mentioning here, if uh, if Davidson can get this done inside the distance, and that might be the safe way to go. It could be with the hands, but if he, he knocks down Font, let's say, he could just look for for a choke and try to get him out of there that way, right? So there's multiple pathways if Figgy's power translates to 35?
10: Absolutely. Font has been dropped five times. He gets in those barn burner type fights, and yeah, he also is knocking people down, but I, I like the angle of Figueredo as underdog. That's where I prefer to play him.
3: You know, I want to take the, another look at the models maybe showing a lean, and, and Punahele Sor- Soriano is a big favorite here against Dustin Stolfes, and Stolfus right now is plus 220. Soriano is minus 270. Is this possibly a play Uh, on a Tuesday that the models are showing that maybe Soriano's too big a favorite.
10: Maybe. Yeah, I'm going to see where the price goes. First of all, we've seen a lot of price movements across the entire card over the last two weeks. I think whenever you have a week off, people start pulling a little bit earlier than they normally do. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you have a a superior grappler in Stolfus. Soriano clearly has the upper hand on the hands. And this is at middleweight where the hands are probably going to dictate a little bit more often than they, you know, more of the fight than they normally do. Um, But we'll see. If Stolfus, Stolfus can get this to the ground, he does have a chance. It's if he doesn't. I think he gets picked apart on the feet. So maybe this is one where you take a prop angle where it's, uh, you know, still finished by des- by decision or by submission, but um, otherwise, you know, back off. There- there's different combination of plays you can go here.
3: Let's go to what the models might be showing is one of the stronger plays in the board and is a favorite here in Wellington Terman against Jared uh, Jared Gooden. And right now Terman is minus $1.92. What are the numbers showing to support uh, that number of, of almost $2?
10: Yeah. First of all, this is kind of a sloppy matchup. Both guys are showing hit or miss metrics. There's some good, bad and ugly on the performance metrics. Uh, But if you have to look for the more glaring defensive holes, it's on the side of Gooden. Uh, He gets hit a lot on the feet, way too much and doesn't put out enough volume to make up for that, so he's going to be uh, running in an uphill battle on the feet, and then on the ground, his metrics have been pretty bad in terms of ground control, so Terman should have an advantage. He does have the credentials in grappling, and so I just feel like this one's stacked up for Terman, but I do admit this does look like a a sloppier matchup.
3: Yeah, maybe not the uh, most aesthetically pleasing to the eye matchup, but certainly the number supporting him as that bigger favorite. Jakar Close is a smaller favorite that we're seeing out there against Joe Selecki, minus dollar. Twenty-two, as we're seeing right now. Uh, what do you make of Jakar now in this favorite spot? He's one of those intriguing fighters that we feel like he's kind of been on the cusp of breaking through, but still here on the preliminary card is is close a good value play at a dollar twenty-two?
10: Well, you, first of all, you just mentioned how stacked is a card when you have a matchup between two guys combined for being twelve and three in the UFC, and right. they are buried down prelims. So yeah, these two guys have been flying under the radar. They're both very good, but I do think Selecki has gotten lucky with a lay and pray attitude. He's spent more time in ground control arguably than the guys in the main event, which is surprising. So he's gotten there and he holds ground position without doing a, a lot. And then you got Close who has above average takedown defense. He's been against superior talent I would argue and And he's actually held his own. So his only losses, first of all, his most recent loss in the last five years is actually against Darius. who's fighting in the main event tonight uh, on Saturday. Uh, So I I actually like close here. Uh, The numbers really do like him. And when I first looked at the matchup side to side, I wasn't really sure what it was. But then I dug into Selecki's background yeah, he he really relies on getting ground control. And if Close can defend those early takedowns, I think his hands are going to be sharper.
3: Only have 30 seconds. I feel like I'm shortchanging Misha Tate, but she is back, the former champ at 135 pounds, taking on Julia Avila. And we haven't seen both of these women in a while here. How do you, get, you wrap your head around a fight like this with a fighter of Tate's ilk, but yet we haven't seen her in forever?
10: Yeah, that, that doesn't bode well for use, relying on the data because it just introduces this X factor. Are we going to see the same fighter that we've seen in the past? Uh, but remember, her original nickname was Takedown Tape, mm-hmm. and she relied on wrestling, and that's what got her to the title. And lately, we just haven't seen as much of it. And if she gets into a stand-up knockout war with Avila on the feet, Avila is definitely the sharper striker, and so she's going to have the advantage.
3: Great stuff, as always, Reed. Appreciate you. Thanks for watching First Strike here on Visa.